Finally! Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. The final press conference of the year for Mike O'Shea. Could be ever as Blue Bombers head coach. Technically, he's a free agent. He talked about that and a ton of other things. You'll hear that on the podcast. As well, my chat with Aaron Cockerell, Stony Mountain Zone, is qualified for the European Tour. Crazy process. How is he look? How much is he looking forward to this next year for him? He's getting married too, by the way. And Bill Peters finally out as head coach of the Calgary Flames. We'll talk to Pat Steinberg of the Fan 960 about that on the podcast. So earlier today, Mike O'Shea, Bombers head coach, held his last media availability of the season and technically it could be his last availability as a Blue Bomber because he is a free agent now. As we're going to hear, it doesn't sound like he's going to really test that free agency. Started off today by talking about getting a new contract. Ooh, I don't know if I've ever talked contract in front of the media before. We don't negotiate with the with the media in the room, so um, had a had a good chat this morning, and we'll continue that. Well, we just won a great cup, so we got a good group here, and it's uh, it's been a great journey um, being a part of this, and uh, you know it's taken longer than I thought, but it's uh, it's neat to be a part of building something, so. Um, I do like it here. You know, there are some openings across uh, the country, and then particularly, you know, Ottawa and your home province. Have you given any thought at all to, you know, you've accomplished this and maybe try something else? I haven't given a lot of thought to that. Um, honestly, it's um, it's been, there's been a lot of business to take care of postseason, like any postseason, and winning the Grey Cup sort of changes a lot of that. You know, we... Unfortunately, the way American Thanksgiving fell, didn't get a chance to have a, a true end-of-year meeting with the entire team, the staff, trying to get uh, um, exit meetings done with the players that are still here. So I'm, I'm not too concerned with what's going on around the league right now, still trying to look after our business here. Can you just give us a percentage of how much you think that you're going to sign a new contract? That's pretty high. That was Canadian press reporter Judy Owen, by the way, asking some questions in there. Uh, what about Paul Lapolis getting some head coach looks this offseason? Well, he's he's been excellent. You know, he's managed to move game plans around and use his talent, the talent of the roster, to the best of its abilities, put guys in great positions um, to allow us to win games and be very successful, obviously, through the playoff run and, and, and through the Grey Cup. So, uh once again, he, he, he's been excellent. I don't know that he would have any regrets, really. I mean, any good play caller, offensively or defensively or special teams-wise, will always check what they do for validity after the fact. Um, and I'm sure, for the most part, our staff won't have really too many regrets the way the playoffs went and the way the calls went. And Ryan Ringmaiden, director of U.S. Scouting, Danny McManus, getting looked at for the Montreal Alouettes general manager job. Throughout the organization, I think you're drawn naturally to champions. You know, there's a reason why we've had success, and that's because there's a lot of people working very hard to do their jobs and make sure they make this a better place. So, uh, you know, one of the names, Ted Govaya, should be in that conversation too. Um, but there's coaches that are being um, looked at for other positions. There's players that are being called about, and there's staff members that should be looked at to f 
fill other roles and other positions in other organizations. We're starting to realize that that's what other organizations go through every year. I'm sure Calgary has to put up with this every single year, but it's a, it's a positive. O'Shea also talked about the foundation of success this franchise now has. I think we've been building the foundation every year. So, and I think every team's different, you know. I think there's some core, core principles we believe in um, that the guys can buy into. They're tangible. They, they can see it on film. Um, and I think every year you're, you're looking for more and more guys to step up in leadership roles and run, run their side, right, so that, um, so that they end up with a good team at the right time. And I think uh, as much as I may express to them at the beginning of the year the value of being a, a good team uh, at the end of the season, um, they, have to, they still have to go through the process of getting there. Right, so I think when you win and guys have a good understanding of, of you know, when they've gone back and looked at the season and, and saw how they developed into a team that, that can't uh, do anything but help for the following year or the following years when they're around and they can draw comparisons and try and um, ensure that it happens again. And what he appreciates about the Bombers organization. Well, the support's been pretty damn good. I mean, from the from the top down, there you got guys that really care, and it, it. You know, I think like any new venture, when I first come on, come in here, there's always ways things have always been done, and the term, well, we always do it this way, and I think we've taken six years to uh, get to a spot where everybody's input matters, and um, and we've settled in on some very good uh, systems and protocols on how we do things to make sure that the people that are around here or have been here or been through here and left say that this is a good organization. But it's, it's a matter of, of really starting from the very beginning and checking everything we do for validity as to is this what a good organization does. And I think we've managed to do that in a lot of different areas and we're still we're still searching for, for those answers. We're still looking for ways to make it better, better for players and better for the organization too. Okay, Mike O'Shea, what has this week been like for you? Different than the other years for sure. Just the way the dates fell, you know, it's, it's that as the American Thanksgiving has added a different pressure to the players to get going, you know. Anytime you're in a Grey Cup, there's two teams that have been going at it for 20 six 27 weeks whatever it is right 23 games and some bye weeks and training camp so guys been going at it a long time and away from home for a long time so it's it's interesting the way it played out this year the standard team meeting at the end of the season and um, evaluations and player meetings is sort of all thrown off by from winning obviously because there's a lot of other events going on uh, and should there should be, you know, there's a lot more partying going on, and, and there should be. Um, and then guys trying to get home for Thanksgiving. So, uh, but it's been it's just been another learning experience, really. And how about the celebrations? I loved watching the guys. That's very satisfying. Seeing the guys uh, get the cup and pass it around to each other, and the the confetti or whatever they shot out, and um, the parade was, as I said, uh, down at the Forks. It's overwhelming. Certainly, 
hit a lot of guys hard right in the heart. So that's a very special moment for the guys. They work so damn hard. They can do whatever they want in my turn, you know, in my mind. I wish I wore a fur coat and didn't have a shirt on either and was chugging beers too. This isn't O'Shea's first Grey Cup win. This is his fifth, first as a head coach. But how is this one different? I think everyone's different. So, yeah, it would be unique. Uh, pinpointing exactly the differences between the ones I've been to uh, would require much more thought. Um, the one thing that stands out that I've noted and I've talked about is our day three practice. And I don't put a lot of stock during the during a regular week on how a, a practice goes. If it goes really well, does that mean you're going to win? If it doesn't go well, does that mean you're going to lose? I don't put a lot of stock into that. So I'm not sh so sure why I put a lot of stock into a day three practice during Grey Cup week. Um, like I haven't even thought that much about why it mattered that much to me. But when somebody asks you how you thought it was going to go or when you thought you might have known that, that you guys were ready, I would say trying to pull the reins back on the guys on day three when they were they were they were animals at practice. Like it was wild to watch how fast they were going and the pace at which they practiced and trying to rein them back in. Um, if that was if you could rely on that as an indicator, um, that was something else. I really enjoyed that and it also was like whoa this is I don't know if this is good or not but it was pretty neat to see I think we'd have to get back to that same situation and I'd have to see another day three and I'd have to see the outcome to compare it to anything else but it was something I noted that was different and while the Bombers will make no apologies about winning Mike O'Shea admits there is something he is sorry for it's been fantastic and since we're hopefully this may get carried, uh, you know, it's on the World Wide Web now, so it's going to be everywhere. So I'm going to apologize to everybody because I have not actually been able to keep up with any of the the correspondence. And, I mean, I think that's what the Sunday is going to be about, is me sitting down for a few hours and making sure I respond to all the people that have reached out. I mean, it's been uh, it's been pretty neat. I really do appreciate it, and and my tardiness should not be indicative of how I feel about them. Let's talk some golf now, shall we? Stony Mountain's Aaron Cockerell has done something very few Canadians have ever done, and that has earned full status on the European Tour, the first Canadian-born golfer since 1993 to play a full schedule on the Tour, booking a spot thanks to a strong enough finish in the Tour's Q School recently. It's a 10-round tournament to qualify. Uh, he's at the first event of the season. He did miss the cut today by one stroke. We talked yesterday and uh, I started by asking him exactly where he is. Um, not sure. A little bit, uh, I think, east of jo – we're in South Africa. It's a, a four-hour drive away from Johannesburg. Okay. So you're there for the first event of the European Tour season, is that right? Yeah, first event started uh, this week, first okay. event of the 2020 season. All right, so let's go back to uh, your qualification a couple weeks ago. Talked to you before this year. You were on the Challenge Tour in the Europe trying to get your card for the European yeah. Tour. And take me through uh, how that qualifying tournament went for you. Yeah, I, I had played at that uh, final stage of qualifying. Um, 
last year. So, you know, I'd been to the area before and seen the golf courses before and felt a little bit more comfortable on them this year, and I had been playing really good golf coming into it. So um, I was just kind of trying to do more of the same and ended up having a nice week and was kind of, you know, pretty high up on the leaderboard for the last, you know, three, four days. So um, made it a little less stressful than what it could have been because Q School is probably uh, the most stressful thing in golf. So, um, yeah, I was just happy with how it turned out and going to be a cool year coming up. And a really quick turnaround to from that to now the European Tour cool. season already beginning. They don't even they literally don't even have a break. It's like it it ended and then the tournament started the next week. Um, and I had my flights to come home and I hadn't been home in like three months, so I I flew home from Spain. I was there for three nights and then I headed back over here. So it's been an absolute whirlwind. Well, I guess the the one thing is that the time zone in the South Africa isn't that different from Europe, but still, that's a lot of time in an airplane. Yeah, well, I was and I, I was at home for three days, so I was I was all over the place. I was pretty messed up, but I think it took us like just over twenty two or twenty four hours or something like that to get here. wasn't exactly easy <laughs> coming from Winnipeg. Oh boy! So how how was your body when you landed in South Africa then? Um. I'm still kind of getting used to it, but uh, I don't know. I did enough travel this year where I've kind of tried to figure out some things that work for me in terms of the jet lag and stuff. So um, try to get acclimatized as quickly as possible and starting this. Today was probably the best that I felt, which was good because today was the first round. So <laughs> Yeah. So it's we're still a month out from the end of 2019, but how would you describe 2019 for you? Uh, oh, man. Um wild ride in terms of golf I mean um, you know I was playing not very good in the challenge shirts you know start to halfway through the season thinking about you know what I was doing with golf and what was next for me and you know just wasn't wasn't great and had a had a nice little run there at the end of the season and um, then turned it into you know a pretty good category on the European tour from thinking I wasn't going to have a job even on the challenge tour to having status on the European tour. I mean, it couldn't, uh, <laughs> can't, can't change much more than that. So, um, yeah, it's been a while, but, um, just kind of trying to keep going with it and, and looking forward to next year, I guess. So this now getting the European tour status, what financially does that mean for you? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I haven't really gotten, around to that yet um i have an agent now and he's working on some some con deals with uh you know club companies and the ball deals the shoe deals and um all that stuff playing in bigger golf tournaments uh for for more money and um other potential you know canadian sponsorships that may come with it so um yeah it's i, I think this year should be good and I mean, it's it, it's taken me, you know, four years to get here. I've kind of grinded on the, the smaller tours. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this year. Now, you uh, you did get to see a lot of the, the world last year on the Challenge, this past year on the Challenge Tour. So you're used to traveling around a ton to play golf. It's just, I guess, the competition's going to get a lot more stiff. Oh, for sure, yeah. A lot better players, bigger, probably more difficult demanding golf courses. Um, but... I mean, that's kind of why, you know, we play and you want to be playing against the better guys and 
um, even this week, you know, some of the guys in the field and, you know, Ernie Els and Charles Schwartzel, there's major champions that I get to play against and you know, it wasn't long ago I was watching these guys on TV, so it's really cool to be, you know, playing in the same tournament, playing against them. And when you see someone like Brooks Kepka doing so well on the PGA Tour, coming from the European Tour, does that give you some inspiration too? Yeah, sure. I mean, I I don't know if I've really thought that far ahead and if I could make it back to the PGA Tour or something like that, but um, it's definitely a different route, and some guys have had some success with going this way in the past. But for right now, I'm just kind of looking forward to the European Tour and all the travel that comes with it and seeing all these different places and playing in these bigger tournaments and, and just enjoying it. Now, what have you learned travel tips-wise over the course of the last year to help you get through all these quick turnarounds? Oh, um, <laughs> that's a good question. Once I was over here, it really wasn't that bad because I was in Europe for most of the summer, so it's pretty easy to bounce around once you're over there. It's just the, the long trips back and forth are tough, just tough on your body and your sleep schedule. But um, some countries you got to be careful of, uh, you know, where you rent a car if you want to try and drive in certain places. Um, you know, I was driving in Morocco earlier this year, and it's just hilarious. Like, there is basically no rules on the road. They just kind of do whatever they want. Um and, yeah, just the, the different cultures, like in, in China, some of the things I saw there were interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, for my, you know, travel for, like, my body and stuff like that, I've, I've kind of figured out what works for me. And once once I'm over here for a while, it's it's, it's not too bad. So. Right. Now, I, I don't think there have been a lot of Canadians, really, on the European tour over the years. Yeah, no, I talked to Bob Weeks, actually, last week, and he kind of had the answer for me. I think the guy's name was Jerry Anderson, and he was in the 80s he had played. Okay. Um, and I I kind of know Austin Connolly, who's, who's a dual citizen. He had some status last season. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, other than that, there hasn't really been too many regulars over here in, in a long time. And um, Yeah, it's cool to kind of be the only Canuck over here. Now you uh, you were also on a safari tour today. Yep, yeah, I just got back from that. The uh, the event, the the tournament, kind of has that running for us. We just if we want to go, there's two times a day: once in the morning, once in the evening. If you want to go, you just sign up and hop in the jeep right at the clubhouse, and they take you on a safari tour. It's, it was pretty cool. What did you get to see? Whew. We didn't see a lion or a leopard. But other than that, I think we saw most of it. We saw giraffe, buffalo, rhino, elephants, um, crocodiles, uh, zebras, um, almost everything except lion and leopard. It was pretty cool. When's the next time you're going to be home? Uh, December 23rd. I, uh, I'm playing this week. I'm playing next week in Mauritius. And then there's an off week, and then uh, there's a tournament in Brisbane, Australia, which I'm going to go to. Um, and I'm going to head to Australia early. Actually, my fiance is going to come over, and we're going to spend a week there. Nice. Um, just kind of traveling around. And then uh, we're joking she's going to caddy for me, which will probably be the last time she caddies for me because uh, I think moving forward I'm going to have to uh, have a big golf bag and uh, professional caddy. So uh, she's caddied for me a few times in, in the past years, and, should be fun doing it kind of one last time and see, see where we go from there. Do you have a wedding date set? Uh, yes, August 29th next year. Is that the is that in the off season or do you have to take a break from golf for that date? Yes, I gotta I gotta miss one for 
for that week, but uh, I think the break will be nice. <laughs> I bet it will be. Congratulations on that. And finally, just overall, a kid growing up in Stony Mountain, you're in South Africa, you're on a safari tour, you're playing on the European tour. Did you ever see this coming? No. Not, not even close. I mean, I, I was actually thinking about that the other day. I used to, like, literally hit golf balls in our front yard. In, I had, like, 40 yards of road up until the highway that I would hit balls on. And, you know, to think where I am now, I, I never would have imagined that. Um, it's been cool. I, I didn't even know if I was going to go play college golf. I didn't know if I was going to turn professional. All, I, I've been a very late bloomer and kind of slowly gotten better and better and better. And, um yeah, I, w- I would never have guessed that this is where I'd be, but it's it's been it's been a blast, and hopefully keep surprises myself. Aaron, I appreciate your time as always. Congratulations on this. Good luck throughout this tournament and uh, the rest of your first year on the, as a member of the European Tour. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Earlier today in Calgary, Brad Treliving, general manager, announced that Bill Peters had offered his resignation as head coach of. The Calgary Flames, it's been a, a very interesting week in Calgary. They had the Great Cup last week, and then the tweet came out from Akeem Alou accusing Bill Peters of using racist language with him a decade ago, and now Peters is out as head coach. And we go to Calgary now, and that's where we find Pat Steinberg, Fan 960. Pat, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Christian. How are you doing, man? Doing well. And uh, just what, what's been the mood following the Flames these last four days? Uh, heavy. It's been a, it's been a heavy four day period ever since, ever since those tweets kind of first came out on Monday night. I remember we were, there's a game between the flames and the penguins. It was, I want to say in the second period when uh, someone brought them to my attention and I went and looked and started sharing them with a couple of colleagues and just talking about it. And, you know, we had a post game show to do that night and by, by the time of that post-game show, the game ended at about 7.30 p.m., 8 o'clock Calgary time. And so by the time our post-game show was underway, that was the biggest story. Uh, Brad Living had already addressed the media once, and we had a call-in show, and that was all anybody wanted to talk about. So that was that was Monday night, and, and my first uh, feel on it, my first inclination, as soon as I saw those tweets was, there's probably no way Bill Peters keeps his job like when when you see something that explosive and you see something that damaging I just don't know how a head coach can can keep his job so the the interesting thing was we did our afternoon show on Tuesday and and I thought at the time that you know probably by Wednesday morning when the Flames have their next game in Buffalo that this will be rectified and and Bill will have been relieved of his duties, and the investigation will have concluded. Well, it didn't really go that way. All through Wednesday, no real update. All through Thursday, no real update. And this morning, we get the news release. The Flames are going to hold a news conference, and that's when we found out that he wasn't even relieved of his duties, but but the resignation is is how they're framing this. And I get it. I mean, there was a lot of what, what bogged this down was as soon as things got into the legal arena. And, and I still believe that Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet, I, I still believe that his reporting was accurate Tuesday morning when he reported that Peters had been fired. Um, the problem is, I think that internally, that was the message to the Flames, but they weren't able to come out with that publicly and talk about it externally because... 
they still had a lot of legal hoops to jump through. And as soon as Bill Peters got legal counsel involved, this became a real wrestling match. And you have one side who's looking to get paid what he believes he's owed. You have another side that is wanting to make a clean break from this and doesn't really want to open themselves up to continuing litigation and lawsuits and countersuits for the next two years, if not more. So that's that's what took this thing as long as it did to finally come to a, a full public resolution. And... And that's why, when it's all said and done, it's a resignation and not a firing. Because I think there's a lot of things behind the scenes that got this to be so that both sides could just part ways. And this is not going to get even uglier than it already is. So it's been a, I, I would say that it's been heavy. I would say that it's been controversial in Calgary. There's been uh, a lot of debate and uh, there's been a lot of condemnation. It's been an interesting time to be on social media in our city. It's been an interesting time to have a text line to see what to, to, to gauge people's opinions. So it's been a heavy week. It's been one that I've never experienced as a broadcaster covering this team for the last decade. And uh, it's one that I am very glad is now officially behind us. Now, the th- one thing I got to say about the flames is I went to a game when I was in Calgary for the great cup, saw them play against Colorado and it's pretty lifeless in that arena. And Calgary's played pretty poorly over the last few weeks is this now doubly an opportunity for this team to get a fresh start for this season? Because I got the feeling that Bill Peters was on the hot seat anyway. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, you're not talking about the league's hottest building to begin with. If you're used to <laughs> games at the MTS Center, you're probably in for a uh, less exciting yeah. atmosphere at the, at the Saddle Dome. But, no, I hear you. And, and so I, it's, it's funny. I was, just on, uh, I was just on Edmonton Radio about, half an hour ago and, and was asked a similar question about about Bill and whether or not he was on the hot seat. Here's here's my read on the situation and, and from what I've been told, I, I don't believe that Bill was uh, in a spot where his days were numbered and here's why. Brad Living took over this team when Bob Hartley was still the head coach and I think the plan was to move away from Bob Hartley at the end of Tree Living's first year, but it just so happened the team went on this crazy run where they were the Cinderella story of the regular season, and then they somehow inexplicably won a playoff round in 2015, and Bob Hartley was named Jack Adams winner. So the plan to uh, the plan to relieve Hartley of his duties after Tree Living's first season was delayed. They actually signed him to a two-year extension. So uh, the next year comes up, the Flames miss the playoffs and miss it fairly uh, by a fairly large margin, and they make the decision to fire Bob Hartley. They undergo a coaching search and they go with Glenn Gullitson. Gullitson gets into a playoff round and they miss the playoffs the next year and Bill Peters becomes available and there's this out clause in Carolina and for the last two years, Brad Living had been enamored with what Bill Peters could be as a head coach of his team. So now here's this opportunity. Team had missed the playoffs. And so he pounces, goes to ownership and says, this is the guy that I want. This is the guy that I think will take our team to the next level. Do I have the permission to relieve Gullitson of his duties? They say, yes. Not a lot of GMs get the opportunity to fire three coaches and hire three coaches. So, so I don't get the feeling that this was, I think Brad would be as aware of that as anyone. I, I don't think that Bill was at this stage of the game in November prior to these events coming to light on Monday. I don't think he was on the hot seat. I think that they were still very much committed to this coaching staff and still very much committed to this team turning it around. Now, 
that was, you know, that's them with losses in seven of eight after the Pittsburgh game, now seven of nine after the Buffalo game. This turns into January, and we're talking about them with losses in 18 of 22, then maybe it's a different story. But right. maybe at the end of the season, had they missed the playoffs or gone out um, in in fairly uh, uninspiring fashion again in the first round, maybe this turns into a different conversation. But I didn't get the sense that Bill Peters was on the hot seat. However, okay. there have been some suggestions that maybe the team was a little checked out on his message, and there have been some suggestions only from the outside that maybe this looked like a team that was playing to get their coach fired. I can't confirm that, but I, I've certainly heard those things suggested by people who, who have been watching this team. All right, talking to Pat Steinberg of Fan 960 in Calgary. And over the last couple of weeks, Pat, we've seen Mike Babcock lose his job, Bill Peters lose his job, a lot of talk about the changing of coaching in terms of how people discipline players, how they interact with players, the mind games, the old school thinking when it comes to coaching and stories have been done here in Winnipeg about how Paul Maurice hasn't really ever had that problem. Do you feel like this is kind of a moment of reckoning for the hockey culture and old-style thinking? Yeah, I think we're just getting started. I really do. And I think it's going to be one of the most uh, interesting debates that we've ever in the hockey community really seen ourselves in. I mean, I do like I do think that there is the, the one allegation, which is not even an allegation anymore. It's uh, Bill Peters has admitted to it. What happened with Akeem Alou in Rockford is is straight up no gray area, no questions asked. That is abhorrent, and you can't, you just cannot do that. And and, and anybody. Some of the excuses that we've heard in Calgary about, well, times have changed in the last 10 years. And, you know, maybe he's learned from his ways. I got news for you. Ten years ago, that word was completely abhorrent, and, and we, we don't use it then either. So so what, what Bill Peters did 10 years ago involving Akeem Alou, that's, that's, there's, there's no gray area there. That in and of itself he shouldn't be working ever again in the NHL. And the NHL still has an investigation that they have to conclude about that. But the stuff that happened in Carolina and the stuff that we've heard about Mike Babcock, some of the stuff that I know Brent Sutter uh, in Red Deer here in Alberta just came out with a release uh, yesterday uh, because there had been some, you know, there have been some accusations made towards him and, and the way that he had, had treated players in the past. And so I think that type of stuff, yeah, we're going to start to hear more of that, and I think it's going to turn into this really interesting debate. Where where do you draw the line between what is tough love and motivating a player and what is abuse of power and abusing your, your players? And, and, you know, I think there will be some that it's very clear, but I think there will be some that, that fall into that middle area, that gray area that some people – condemn and some people defend and and that's going to be the really interesting part but yeah I, I do think that this is the start of something i do think we're just getting started on it and and i think the word reckoning is is exactly the right word to use i mean there's a it's a different world in 2019 we're we're more aware of what things and certain actions can do to a human being's mental health we're far more acutely aware of what mental health can do to a human being or poor mental health can do to a human being and what it can lead to. And we're trying to prevent those things from happening. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so because of that, yeah, I think that we're in for a very fascinating and enlightening next 
I don't, I don't think we're talking about a short period of time. I think no. the next number of years in hockey is going to be a, a very new and interesting time for us all. Well, Pat, I appreciate your time tonight, and say hi to the extended family for me. I will. Uh, Gavilers represent, and uh, congrats <laughs> to the Bombers. It was awesome to see uh, the Bombers snap that streak in Calgary last weekend. That was awesome. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?